Good morning. Good morning and welcome to chapel today. Glad you could all join us this morning. So my name is Tamara Schantz and I serve as one of the campus pastors here. Um, and I am very excited to be able to welcome Anton Flores to Goshen College as our guest speaker, um, both today and chapel, as well as Friday, um, Friday's chapel. And he'll also be at Midweek Faith tonight at 9.30 in the RFC classrooms, just for a time of informal conversation and dialogue. So if you're interested in uh, conversing with Anton more, please join us there tonight. So Anton is joining us this morning from LaGrange, Georgia. Um, a small city around the size of Goshen um, that's about an hour outside of Atlanta. In 2006, Anton left his um, tenure-track position as a professor of human services and sociology at LaGrange College to follow a call to live a life of solidarity with newcomers from Latin America, especially unauthorized and unwelcomed immigrants. He devotes his full-time energies without compensation to a ministry called Alterna. Alterna is a Christian missional community made up of U.S. citizens and Latin American immigrants who are devoted to the ancient practices of accompaniment, advocacy, and hospitality. So currently, Alterna consists of the Flores family, two families from Guatemala, and two from Mexico as well as three young couples who are serving through an internship called, partnership called, um, through Mission Year, the program Mission Year. So throughout the year, you will find Anton sharing common meals and prayers with the other members of Alterna, visiting detainees at the local jail um, and nearby immigration detention center, walking alongside immigrants in crisis, organizing public acts of resistance to the dehumanization and criminalization of immigrants, and leading delegations and organizing community development efforts in Guatemala. Last spring break, a year ago, a group of Goshen College students went to visit the Alterna community and learn about their lives and ministry, and we are planning to take another group of students down again this coming spring break. I have already enjoyed getting to know Anton over the last day or so, and I look forward to hearing what he has to share with us this morning. He will be speaking with us this week on the theme of Love Crosses Borders. And this morning, we'll specifically hear some of his own personal story and testimony um, as it intersects with um, a story from Exodus, Exodus 3. As we enter into worship this morning and prepare to hear Anton's message, please join me in an opening prayer. God of grace and of truth, we give you thanks for this day, for the sunshine, for the warm fall colors that still grace some of our trees. Lord Jesus, you are and were the lover of the marginalized, lover of those who are made to be unwelcome. You offer all of us love, mercy, and welcome. We give you thanks this morning and lift up to you Alterna and Anton's ministry in LaGrange, the work that they do with people that are so often not welcomed in our society. Open our ears to hear Anton's message for us this morning. Open our hearts to the work of your spirit here in this place and in our own community. Amen. 
We're now going to join in a time of singing with Juan and Danielle. This song is called Jesucristo Te Ama, which means uh, Jesus Christ loves you. And uh, the lyrics say, uh, Jesus Christ loves you. He wants to give you eternal life. And if you open the door, he will come into your house and have, uh, have dinner, a meal with you.
en estas bellas tierras que Dios creó, con sus bellas montañas, costas y mar. Toda la belleza que podemos disfrutar, toda esperanza e ilusión. Some talked about uh, uh, America, well, in, in the bigger picture, uh, uh, South America. And it just talks about uh, us rejoicing in God uh, through what we have. And we're just talking basically about uh, the um, uh, South American culture and the geography and the mountains. So it's just th giving thanks to God. So that's what it talks about. Never can get it right. Um, hello, I am Sammy Rosario. I'm a broadcasting and theater major from Tuabaja, Puerto Rico. And I'm going to be reading chapter 3 of Exodus 1 through 10. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And then he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a tree. So he looked, and behold, the tree was burning with fire, but the tree was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will not turn outside and see this great side, why the tree does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the tree and said, Moses, 
Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land of flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to the Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Good morning, Goshen College. It is my privilege to be here with you this morning. It is uh, actually a thrill for me to be here at Goshen College as I've developed relationships with uh, Mennonites in Colombia, in Guatemala, and in Georgia. Yes, there are a few in Georgia. Uh, as we have developed relationships, uh, this has been a place that I have longed to come to. I taught social work at LaGrange College uh, for a total of 10 years. Seven years I was on the faculty, I was tenure track, I was chair of the department, uh, and uh, four years ago, I literally walked away from that position, uh, just resigned. And it was out of a deep sense of call. And what I want to share with you this morning is a bit about that call. So this is, in large part, testimonial. I mean, what would lead me to walk away from a tenure-track position, a prestigious title of professor, uh, to say I'm going to forego for the last four years any income, I'm going to walk away from, from a position that most of my colleagues at the college thought I was crazy because this is the type of position that they aspire to hold on to for the rest of their lives. And here I was walking away. Well, one of the things that I think led to this that you'd have to understand just briefly is that in the year 2000, our life changed. We adopted a son from Guatemala. Now, my background is Puerto Rican. I'm Puerto Rican born in New York and raised in Atlanta. And being raised in Atlanta as a Puerto Rican in the 1980s and the 90s, there was a bit of cultural identity issues. You see, in Georgia, it was normally assumed at that point that I must have been biracial. I mean, the kids would come up to me and say, are you mixed? And I'd say, no, but I'm confused. <laughs> so here I was living in this context and yet also wanting this, having this strong desire to understand my Latino identity. But I figured I was born in the wrong place or been relocated by my parents to the wrong place to really immerse myself in the understanding of who I was as a Latino. 
and then as a Christ follower. To be honest with you, I thought when I was in college that I was born in the wrong generation. Because there was this strong sense within me, even though I was a Catholic who had been raised in the evangelical church, there was this strong sense within me that said, this issue of justice resonates with the heart of Jesus. But in my church, it was all about earning a salvation for some future eternal place, and there seemed to be this disconnect. And then when I was looking around from my suburban eyes, I figured, well, the civil rights movement had to be the last great justice movement of our time. And so here I was teaching social work, teaching the theories, and yet removed from the context and from the reality until the year 2000 and we adopted our son from Guatemala and entered into a world unknowingly of ethical dilemma as the idea of adoptions from countries like Guatemala are filled with perplexities and complexities and ethical dilemmas of children being bought or stolen. And how does one enter into that? When I thought, well, adoption is the very heart of God. We are adopted children of God. You are a U.S. citizen. I am Puerto Rican, someone from Guatemala. What we share in common is that we are adopted children of God. But now, how does it enter into the fact that here I am dealing with issues of are there folks who are stealing children and buying children and making exploitive gains off of children? And so we began to attend a small Latino congregation in my town. It had just started two years earlier. See, in Georgia, we're a new frontier state. In the 90s, they started coming because we had poultry plants and textile mills that needed poor, cheap labor. On top of that, we had a small thing called the Centennial Olympics that we needed to do a lot of construction if we were going to be hosting the Coca-Cola Olympics because everyone knows that Coca-Cola bought the Centennial Olympics for Georgia. So who is going to build all of these new buildings? and expand the economy of the 90s for the state of Georgia. Well, my friend Teodoro Maus, who is the Consul General of, of Mexico, who was the Consul General of Mexico, said that he received a phone call from immigration officials that said, hey, with the Olympics coming, please let your people know that they are welcome in Georgia. And he understood the coded language in that, that immigration enforcement laws would not be applying to the state of Georgia in the 90s as immigrants came. And here we were, attending now what we had decided to do post-adopting our son is begin to attend this new congregation of first-wave immigrants, mostly from Mexico and Guatemala. And my eyes and my heart and my life were awakened and transformed. So what I want to do is just quickly, because we don't have much time together, but just kind of show you through a series of images, some of the things that I have learned and gleaned just over the last eight, ten years. This is, the, to me, the travel of migration. This is what happens 
just as I have heard in school systems that some people talk about in, in impoverished school systems and in, in communities of color that it is often a, a, a pipeline of schools to prisons, I would say that there is a pipeline of desperation to deportation within our immigrant communities. This is a photo that I took in Guatemala. The sign says, the, the graffiti says, no mas pobreza, no more poverty. And yet here is a gentleman cleaning the shoes of another man. In a country like Guatemala, where the average person earns about $3,400 a year, the average person, the average income, $3,400 a year, so that indigenous communities and rural communities live on the literal $2 per day. Desperation is one of the realities that leads folks on an exodus. And that desperation then leads them through a rite of passage, seemingly, into the desert as they make their trek, hiring coyotes, human smugglers, having to uh, place their land as a lien against the, the, the cost of, bringing these, of, of hiring these smugglers to bring their loved ones into the United States. And then as they cross into our treacherous desert and other portions of our, of our borders, now competing with, with drug smugglers that are becoming increasingly, increasingly and excruciatingly violent. This is a photo that I took in uh, Altar Sonora, which is right on the border with Arizona. And at the, up at the top, at a migrant center, are four men who are looking at a map. If you can tell, in looking at the map, there's these, there's these arcs. And each arc is a, an approximate how many days they can expect to be walking and how far they'll get. But if you can also see, I don't know if you can see with the glare, but there's a whole bunch of dots. And in the dots is where men had died, or, or migrants, men, women, and children, had died in this journey. Once they make it into El Norte, there is a job wanted sign awaiting them and they begin to work, but much of the work then leads to, and much of our anti-immigrant sentiment leads to a feeling of dehumanization or an experience of dehumanization. Where they are called illegals, wetbacks, and you know all the names, where they are being told that they are, quote unquote, invading our country. And it's that type of sentiment, plus the fact that they are oftentimes exploited for their labor, unpaid many times, or paid lower wages often. It is that whole culture of dehumanization that says, this other, this stranger, this alien, this is a person who is less than human. And we all know or should know that dehumanization is a precursor to violence. You can't commit an act of violence against someone who you have not first dehumanized. And so we have this cultural acceptance of the dehumanization of our migrant brothers and sisters. And so in Alabama, just over the border, we live over the border, this gentleman was living in this environment. He was working, picking up hay, for this, for this farmer. And the farmer said, hey, instead of paying you, I'll provide you housing. And this housing looks very much like any of the asentimientos in Guatemala City that I've been to or places along the border where people just put up little tarp roofs and uh, plywood walls. This was his bathroom. This is his kitchen. This was the wood-burning stove that, that kept him warm in the wintertime. And this is in East Alabama in the 21st century. 
We now have in Georgia some of the toughest anti-immigrant laws, and that those anti-immigrant laws lead folks to detention. And now growing is the privatization, privatization of detention, meaning the private companies. Their biggest area of growth is in detaining immigrants for the United States, because if immigration reform is to happen, we are told that it has to happen with strict enforcement, which isn't just about building a wall. But it's about detaining human beings who have committed no crime. The offense of unlawful entry into the United States is a civil offense, not a criminal one. And yet in the state of Georgia, there are close to or approximately 2,500 immigrants right now being detained in Georgia alone. 2,500 immigrants being detained. And at the Stewart Detention Center in Southwest Georgia, the largest immigration detention center in the United States, close to 2,000 men are held there for an average of 53 days for what is a civil court process. And the deportation splits families, splits husbands from wives, fathers from children, in this detention center, it's only men, so, but splits families, splits wives from husbands, wives from their children. And so what does our text speak to us today, Alice? Here I am entering into this sphere, and what happens is, is that I was unaware of this, and yet in, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, I love this verse. It speaks so clearly to this. It says, Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. You all attend a phenomenal school that has this, this culture of immersion. You all have an experience where at least one semester of your academic career, you are invited to observe how other people live. And I think that is the first step of this call of solidarity, is this observing the misery. But many of us stop there, so we go on short-term missions, and we observe misery, and we come back, and our instinct is to say, oh, it makes me more grateful for the life that I lead. I mean, I, I was a youth pastor, and I remember that being over and over again, the common reflection of many youth when we go on a short-term missions, that kind of that first level of moving towards solidarity is that we recognize and we observe the misery of other people, and that leads to us saying we're grateful for the lifestyles that we live. That there is a level of gratitude, but it doesn't stop there. That is perhaps a developmentally appropriate kind of first level in our shift towards this idea of gospel solidarity with those on the margins. But what God says to Moses in the second line here of this is, is important. It says, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their testimony. You see, observing, you all can look at the images, you can observe misery, you can see that from a distance, from a physical and from a cultural distance. But the idea of, of hearing the cry involves getting closer, right? 
It involves actually sitting down with someone who is actually being oppressed, in this case, by their taskmasters, and listening and engaging actively in hearing what the person has to say. There you start to see the shift towards empowerment, because many times when all we do is observe the, ministry, the, the misery of people, then our North American privileged stance says, well, we've got to do something. And so we observe misery, and then we want to build something. But no, this is saying that you observe the misery, and then you hear the cries. You give the voiceless a voice. You listen to them and their perspective. And as I sat in that congregation, and as trust began to become established, all of a sudden I began to hear a very different reality in my own community. Many of you are Goshen born and raised. But let me tell you, your Latino immigrant community here, if you get close enough to not just observe how the reality is, but close enough to build trusting relationships to hear, you will realize that there is an invisible ocean. That there is a very different reality for those who live on the margins of any society, of any community. But do we have, are we sensitive to the call of the Spirit that says, just as in that instance, I mean, here was Moses at a bush, at a place that was probably a normal place for him, just like this, coming here, this is a normal weekly occasion for you. This is the mundane, this is the routine. And it was in the routine and in the mundane that God spoke to Moses. And God will speak to you. And God may invite you to observe and to hear. And as you hear, and as you draw closer to that individual and hear of their cries based on what is going on to them, how they are being oppressed, how they are struggling, then it says, God says, I know their son. And the word know in the Old Testament is this wonderful concept of intimacy, of a deep understanding. I and mean, it's actually in the, in the Old Testament sometimes when it says Adam knew Eve, well, they're talking about how then they created life together. So this concept of knowing suffering, of knowing their suffering, is going beyond just the I'm going to be a spectator to misery, to saying, going beyond to saying, and now I am actually going to engage the person and listen to them and affirm their dignity, to saying, I know their sufferings. In the sense that their sufferings is somehow intertwined with me, that this idea of compassion, being compassion with suffering, suffering with, that is what the word compassion means, to suffer with another person. So that this idea of knowing their sufferings means, and now I have to live a compassionate life. 
a life where my future and my well-being is somehow interdependent and intertwined with the formerly other. So, time is flying. I want to show you how our life has become intertwined with the other. We live, we have six housing units on our street, and we live now with two families from Guatemala and two families from Mexico. We don't ask what their legal status is. We don't care what their legal status is because, as I stated earlier, we're all brothers and sisters together in this kingdom. So we do cultural things together. We celebrate Three Kings Day together. We have a farming initiative where we live in a town, so it's a gardening uh, initiative, but, and that little boy is eating a tennis ball, but it's a cute picture. <laughs> so these are the houses. We do get snow, two inches a year. <laughs> we offer hospitality to uh, immigrants and Latinos in crisis coming off the streets of Atlanta, coming out of jail, um, just different, different avenues. And we've also now developed a partnership with Mission Year. So we have actually the married couples of Mission Year living with us so that they too can observe and hear and over the course of the year know the sufferings. It's quite a transformative opportunity for these young adults. It's similar to uh, the MBS program and to, and to the Dwell program, uh, both of which I have very strong relationships. We take folks to Guatemala. Uh, this woman in the center is, uh, a, is a retired school counselor. And then Don Pedro on the left and Doña Ana on the, on the right. Their son came and lived with us from Guatemala and uh, lived with us for a while, but actually lived with, with uh, Marty in the center for a while. And so I wanted, I wanted Marty to meet his parents. And so we traveled to Nevada, Quiche, Guatemala, and, uh, and she met the family and uh, was given a charge to be his surrogate mother while he was in the States, and she has taken it to heart. Another neighbor who, had, uh, who Luis lived with then went with us as well and opened up a, a, a technology center and, and provided scholarships there in Nevada. We're doing community organizing in a village in Huevetenango, uh, which is on the border with Chiapas. Um, it's, in, it's in Guatemala as well. And it's where a high density of our Latino immigrants are from. So we've organized kind of an immigrant council of Sauceños. And then in El Sauce, there's a, there's a resident council. And together, they, they develop uh, development uh, initiatives. So we did some road improvements there. And the next thing we're working on is, is building a, uh, a clinic. Walk alongside immigrants in crisis. I go to the prison uh, or to our jail and do visitation there. I add my voice to trying to end uh, the detention of immigrants for civil for a civil offense. We are opening up the very first hospitality house outside of an immigration detention center. This is located exactly one mile outside of the Stewart Detention Center, which is located in rural, rural southwest uh, Georgia. And um, we will be offering hospitality to the family members who come from North Carolina and Florida to visit uh, their, their loved ones. We also organized a Holy Week pilgrimage. Last year we had eight pilgrims, mostly immigrants, walked through three of the most anti-immigrant counties uh, in Georgia. And we walked, and all we carried was a cross and a sign that said Holy Week pilgrimage for immigrants. But, but we walked through these communities that have actually laws on the books that could lead to the deportation of immigrants. And on Holy Thursday, the most fascinating, you see right here, oops, sorry. 
You see right here, uh, we did foot washing, where U.S. citizens wash the feet of immigrants. And this woman is facing deportation. She had an ankle monitor on her foot. Imagine the spiritual significance, the symbolism of washing the foot of a woman who is facing deportation and has that ankle monitor. I'd like to just close this in prayer. And say, this was kind of my introduction testimony on Friday. I'll talk a little bit more uh, either from this passage or from the, from the book of John. And I haven't decided yet um, a bit more about this concept of solidarity. But, I, but it was difficult for me to figure out how do I explain to you the way in which God calls or called me. So that anything that I left behind, that position, that quote-unquote status, I would give it up again and again. There are moments of fear as I wonder if sometimes I put the immigrants with whom we live in some unnecessary risk. But it was Norma, who we live with, who said to me, how could you consider doing anything else when there are so many needs here? And perhaps God is calling us as a community to enter into those needs. I would do this over and over and over again. I would walk away from titles. I would walk away from salaries. Because the adventure of living a life of faith in pursuit of the kingdom of God, a, a kingdom that knows no borders. Here was God crossing a border to find Moses, a fugitive. And here was Moses saying, how, how could I be used in the face of such oppression. Here was God saying, I will be with you. And all I ask for you to do is to be an instrument and to proclaim, let my people go. A cry that I think is really one of double solidarity. I think it was letting those oppressed go from their oppression but also one of letting the oppressors go freeing them from the lies of power and property and prestige. Let us pray. I'm actually going to just pray this prayer. It hangs in the church, the Catholic Church in Altar Sonora, which is the last stop for almost every immigrant who's going to cross into the United States through Arizona. So many times they'll come into this one last sanctuary before they make their trek into the desert. And it's a prayer that also shows that many times how our borders change our theology. And it's a challenge to say, what would it look like if here this prayer were hung? Or in your church, or in your community, or in your heart? So I will pray this translated into English. Heart of Jesus full of love and mercy. I plead for my migrant brothers and sisters. 
Have mercy on them and protect them, for they suffer abuses and humiliation in their journey and are identified by most as dangerous and excluded for being strangers. May we respect and value their dignity. Touch their hearts with your kindness, all who pass over. Care for their families until they return home, not with a broken heart, but with hopes fulfilled. So be it. Thank you. so much, Anton. I invite you all to come tonight for more conversation and also Friday. Um, I think we're going to still close with one song if you're willing to stick around. If you need to go, that's fine. Join in singing as Juan and uh, Danielle lead us in Contemos al Señor, number 55 in the hymnal. Um, and that can be your prelude if you need to go, or you can stick around and uh, sing. Señor 